I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Montalino Mama. everyone welcome back to another episode of multilingual mamas which is actually going to be our last episode for this first season so to celebrate the end of our first season today we're gonna look back on what we've learned uh give you a little bit of an update on our own kids as well as briefly discuss what we have in store for our second season uh, which will be coming in August of this year. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Okay. So first we'd like to discuss what this first season has meant for us, what we've taken away from all of our interviews uh, and what we've learned and maybe applied to our own situations. So Sarda, do you want to start with what have been your biggest takeaways from the season? Sure. Um, I think one of my favorite episodes is the one we had with Tanya, Tanya Yoni, because she has a really quick um, view of what is to be expected that first year, first, second year of um, life uh, in terms of bilingualism and children acquisition, language acquisition development. So I have learned a lot about how kids might be understanding multiple languages, even though they're not speaking yet. So that was really, really helpful, especially now that I have a one-year-old and I'm pretty sure she understands what's going on 100% of the time, but now I have some sort of confirmation from experts uh, to validate my observations. I have also learned that COVID has been good for language maintenance, especially for our family. Even though my son didn't go to daycare for quite a while, um, that kind of helped with French and Spanish. So I am, that's been like the positive side of everything um, for us as a family. Did you feel the same way, Lauren? Well, Victoria did go to daycare pretty much the entire school year, Um, but that was good for our mental health, which I guess indirectly is good for for her bilingualism. (laughs) There you go. Just got to weigh in what what matters, right? (laughs) My son did go to daycare over the summer, but uh, it took us at least a month and a half, and I I wish I had done it sooner. Anyways, going back to (laughs) multilingual. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, daycare. <laughs> um, I have learned new ways to encourage my kids to speak Spanish that are a little bit less threatened because I was I I was guilty of being that parent who was just like, can you say that to me in Spanish? And now I've I've decided to not kind of push that a lot. So that's been good. We've seen that from multiple people we've interviewed, right? But some of them did not take that approach and it worked out really well for them. I agree that this experience has made me more relaxed about family language practices in general. I've kind of like back off a little bit when it comes to asking him importantly things in another language. My family got to hang out with um, Sarda and her kids <laughs> this weekend and they they were all very impressed by how trilingual Lucas is. So I would say <laughs> so far so good. He's he's is trilingual. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's definitely speaking to three of them. But again, like it just, I think we as linguists as well know too much about this. Yeah. So we feel a little bit when we go home. Mm-hmm. Want it to be like 33% this language, 33% the other language. Right. Oh my goodness. Well, I do remember Tanya was so kind to share with me that she tracked 
their kid's lexical development, I believe, for four to five years with an Excel sheet. And I'm just not that disciplined. I am not, and I will not do that. <laughs> yeah, I have one now that we'll talk about later, but it's almost impossible to keep up with now at two at two years old. And like, she learns so much. And yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do that until she's four or five, especially with the second one coming along. <laughs> True. Yeah, and I guess for those of you who don't know, Lauren is gonna be a mom again. Yeah, in theory, uh, in about a week. <laughs> Yay! And we don't know what's gonna be, so we'll let you know in season two, right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and definitely one thing that I have learned and I'm really, really excited about because like I said, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast, at least for me, was the trilingualism part of things. I There's not a, as much research in multilingualism and trilingualism, yeah. and that was new to me. So I have learned something very valuable to me, which is that a lot of kids that are raised uh, trilingual, one of their parents or both of their parents uh, tend to be bilingual. So that also means that on the parent's side, they, make, they need to make a choice and decide what language they want to prioritize for the most part. And that could be a really emotional uh, choice sometimes. And I was not aware of that. And that actually made me go back and talk to my husband and be like, hey, you're bilingual. Um, was it hard for you to make a choice? And Yeah, I would agree that I, I guess I thought, oh, there's probably all this research out there on trilingualism. I just don't know about it because it's not my field. But there actually is not that much. <laughs> it's growing for sure. Like I said, it's mostly based in Europe. I have to adjust what we find to the United States in the context that we have here. Uh, but um, I like what we've learned so far. And who knows, perhaps this becomes part of my research agenda in the future. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the last things that I wanted to mention was um, I had not thought about how difficult it could be for a non-native speaker to raise their kids bilingual, even though they're, bi they're bilingual themselves. Um, and I've learned a lot about that because speaking a language that is in their dominant language must be hard for them. If you, you have like a domain set in a language, right? And that's probably your case, Lauren, if you, you're yeah. speaking Spanish to Victoria, how is that? Well, and not just um, domain specific vocabulary, but also my family is, is not Spanish speaking. So that's another kind of wrinkle in language practices is I, my whole life has been speaking English around them. And now suddenly I speak Spanish to Victoria in front of them. So it's just an, an adjustment for everyone. That is so interesting. You know what? That makes me think of <clears throat> my husband's situation, right? Like Alex is- by right. You also, he also changed his family language practices. He did, exactly. He grew up speaking English at home and now French has become the home language for him. And when I asked him about this, when I learned about trilingualism, he was just like, it was no problem at all. He didn't have an issue, but now he's speaking a lot of French around his mom, who's an English native speaker. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe, you know, being bilingual in that respect, you know, someone who's an early bilingual um, might have a different experience with it, or it might be, uh, it varies from individual to individual. It's, it's just interesting. Mm -hmm. about you? I really enjoyed hearing all the different parent perspectives and picking out some common themes. Um, it's been interesting to hear how frequently parents mention the, uh, how much going abroad helps. And then the specific one week 
kind of adjustment period. And then after one week, their minority language just comes back perfectly and they're totally adjusted and into the culture and the language after one week abroad. Um, so I found that, you know, repeated anecdote pretty interesting. And I think we kind of knew that a lot of parents felt anxious about yeah. their kids' bilingualism or felt pressure or felt like failures if it didn't work out. Um, but it's always good to know that, you know, you're not alone. Um, also, I thought it was, it's interesting to hear people talk about the difficulties they have using the language they commit to using in every domain that they commit to using it in. Like if yeah. you are a bilingual and you don't normally use, in my case, like use Spanish to, to read nursery rhymes or to sing lullabies, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that other people have similar experiences like that and that it's parents aren't perfectly balanced bilinguals either. Exactly. That's for sure. And I think one thing that came up in a couple of episodes is the idea of speaking in public spaces, like at the park and things like that. I do find that sometimes that's just kind of weird. And I was thinking about that the other day when I was um, like in the pool, because uh, we signed up knowing me for swimming lessons, even though she's a baby, right? But just to get familiar with the water. And we're singing a lot. And I'm like, some of the songs I have never heard in my life, I cannot sing along. I could just make it up. So I just like start singing whatever in Spanish and I'll just make something up because it feels so awkward for me to be talking <laughs> or like engaging with her in English. And she's just like looking at me like, eh. so that's like definitely well, a thing. Little awkward moments that just mm -hmm. come up. It's a really awkward feeling. And I just thought of this and I'm like, we've had a oh, lot recently at, at the park mm -hmm. where we speak to Victoria in Spanish and I guess Spanish is such a recognizable language that people almost always come up to us and say wow are you speaking Spanish like and then we're in this long conversation with someone in English about Spanish I don't know just it's just kind of like an awkward thing that happens yeah. a lot and well, then they, interesting. they try to get their kid to speak to Victoria in Spanish and their kid doesn't speak Spanish and Victoria right. speaks English so. right it's just yeah it's always the same kind of questions like oh my god you're doing that how cool that oh I you know I didn't learn anything even though I took 100 yep. classes, <laughs> <laughs> 100 classes. <laughs> but for us it's been interesting because people can identify Spanish I agree with you but yeah. like Alex sometimes gets the question of what is that you're speaking to your yeah. kids and um and everybody loves oh my god French is so romantic or whatever and I'm just like Boo. <laughs> well that's what I was gonna say is the next thing that I thought was really interesting was um something that Dan Olson brought up about the intersection of race and culture yeah. and language um just the fact that we are all you know you and I and our husbands are all yeah. broadly considered white and uh so we have that yeah. privilege Anything, of people, yeah. you know congratulating us on yeah. raising our kids bilingual um and also something that I that I think about a lot is there there are a lot of Hispanic people at the park and I don't know you know sometimes I struggle with like if I'm 
being artificial or if I should, you know, try to have Victoria play with their kids or, you know, what is my culture and to what extent am I imposing or invading a culture that they, that I'm not part of, you know? That's, yeah, I can imagine that's hard for me because I'm an English speaker of Spanish. Uh, it's right. just kind of how I communicate with him, right? So I'll just tell him, have you asked her if she wants to play? And of course the parents are there, they can understand and the kid understands. So it's like a really natural thing, but it's been the opposite in English too, because I have to be, and it comes from, from my son, right? For the most part, he's just the one that's talking the most. Oh, but he speaks English. And I'm like, well, you understand English and you can speak English. You can just go ahead and talk to him in English, right? But he's even aware of those um, those things right now. Well, you and I are just playing here. We're speaking Spanish and we want to integrate him into our play. We, we got to switch to Spanish. And, yeah. Like, and of course you cannot tell a four-year-old, well, you and I can speak in Spanish and he get like, I, I just do it. I don't have to explain that to him, but he notices and he's starting to feel like, well, should we accommodate him or not? And like, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to because I want to make sure that I don't switch language I speak with you necessarily, but uh, I understand what's going on, right? Yeah. Interesting. For sure. Yeah, I would say the other thing that has changed this year is just having more personal experience. You know, when we started this, Victoria had very few words um, and her language has developed a lot over the past year. So I just have a lot more perspective on how that goes. I would say I've learned to be patient with the milestones, like Mm -hmm. it'll come, you know, they'll just have one word for a long time, but then eventually the the words will just start coming out and you can't stop them. So that would be something I think just from personal experience that I've taken away is don't, don't stress about the timing as much specifically you know, different milestones will, will come with time. And I would say for me, I did stress a lot about going abroad because it's something that we know that it helps immersing those kids in like that language when it's not just you, the only person giving them that input. Right. But it's so much easier when you're in a country or in a place where everybody's speaking the language and you're not the only person in charge of that. So it, um, since our job is flexible and we, we get to travel, I, I did travel um, this year. And, um, I have to, I've learned to wait the good and the bad things. And honestly, it's being a little bit more stressful, of course, because of COVID and everything, but sometimes it's so stressful. It's not worth it. So I, I'm starting to, to understand that sticking to bilingualism or pushing it can also have some impact on family and a relationship and things like that, because when you're stressed out, your kids are stressed out. So perhaps it's not, it's something to, to consider in the future, of course. Like, we're going to go abroad. We need to consider a lot of factors. Money, where we're going to stay, how long. Is this something I can do while I'm working on a project, right? Just, like, kind of think of the logistics a little bit more and not just go with it because, you know, this is good for them. We're going to do it. Right. So is there anything that you think you're specifically uh, going to apply based on what we've talked about this year or anything that you already have applied to your personal situation at home? Yes, I I feel an obligation sometimes to be around my kids a lot more than I can. Yeah. Based of like how much work I have, because in my in my family, I'm, right now I'm the only one working. So um, I'm the breadwinner, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do force myself to finish working at five as 
much as I can and then going home and spending time with them. But sometimes making that sacrifice means a lot of stress, make deadlines and things like that, right? And one of the obligations that I had was like, well, I if I'm not there, they're not going to get any input and not going to get mommy and they're not going to do that, right? And honestly, on top of like missing out on my kids is also the, if I'm not around, there's no Spanish going on. And I kind of like get worried. Because we know what this is like something you got to do it on a day-to-day basis. So um, that was stressing to me and now it's not anymore. I've learned to um, let them watch a movie in Spanish can also be good. It's not that going to learn from it, but they're going to engage with that and they're going to talk to me about it afterwards. So Victoria has definitely learned words from the television in the past. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think as long, as long as they interact with it somehow, you know, like a lot of the time, Lucas was, will watch stuff in French and talk to me about it. They'll be like, oh, what have you watched? Can you tell me about it? And he won't have the words sometimes. But he asked me, oh, I don't know how you say this in Spanish. And I'll just tell him. And it's like guessing what now like he'll say it. And he's like, why don't you get it? And I'm like, you're, you're speaking in French. Yeah, you just made that up. <laughs> yeah, just like kind of like not forcing. I think as moms, we already have a lot on our plate. So having this input obligation was just like, oh, my God, this is too much. So now I'm just more like, well, you know what? They're going to spend time with daddy, which is still really good time. I'll make up during the summer or whatever, you know, it's just. Yeah, I I think um, I've taken away a more relaxed attitude as well. And mine would have to be uh, surrounding code switching. I used to feel really guilty whenever we would code switch at home. But now I've just come to accept that that is how we talk. We are a bilingual family. My daughter knows that we both understand both languages and so I can't tell her that I don't understand her when she says eat you know because I do understand it (laughs) um so I've just come to accept that that's a bilingual practice that happens in our family and she'll she'll know eventually what she's doing um and so I've tried to cut myself some slack and, and my husband he code switches too about code switching in the house exactly and honestly even though we're doing the one parent one language and we tend to stick to our language that's a lot of code switching going on sometimes from from my son for the most part but like there there are words that I have adopted in French 100% of the time because they prefer that from the beginning and to me just it's become that like um there's words like um abrazo which would be the, a hug we say in French, we say calon all the time. My, my son loves that and he honestly, he just comes out of me in French. Um, when they have to go to bed, we say dodo because it's so much shorter and efficient that saying, let's go to bed now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so it's just like, and like they actually, like Noemi right now responds to, no, no, she'll be like, oh, she'll lay down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So even though French is not a language I'm fluent in, but I understand very well. It's just the way it is, and it's just normal. It comes to me naturally, and I'm embracing it. Now the most exciting part of the episode, an update. Yes. <laughs> what are they up to these days? What is Victoria up to these days? So Victoria just turned two yesterday, um, and I have been keeping track of her productive vocabulary. At first, I was also keeping track of receptive vocabulary, but that just got out of control too quickly. So just her productive vocabulary right now is at age two, she has 53 English words, 64 Spanish words, and then 22 words that are either um, 
like a proper name or the same in Spanish and English. So like no or uh, meow. So that puts her at 38.1% uh, of her vocabulary is in English, 46% in Spanish. So, you know, very slightly dominant in Spanish, but also that could be biased because we we speak in Spanish. So there could be more English words that she just doesn't use with us. Mm -hmm. So that gives her a total vocabulary of, I should have done this math before, but 117 <laughs> plus 22 139 something like that but yeah so that's her productive vocabulary and then in terms of morphosyntax she's starting to do uh sentences or phrases many of which are code switched so um let's see here she has the other day she said yo eat so yo the pronoun she pretty much always uses yo for no matter what language. She uses mo for mas, no matter the language. So like mo pala is mas plat, uh, more banana. She has negation. So she'll say no pie. Uh, she has some object pronouns, help me and ponlo. She has possession. She can say mio, oso mio. I mean, her verb forms are very clearly memorized chunks, like ponlo, or um, she'll say, ha llovido, ha llovido. And that's the only- That's cool. That's the only form of llover, of to rain that she has. Right. That so means uh, it rained, it has rained, ha llovido. Yeah. And, uh, you, you've done a much better job than I did keeping track of, of Lucas's. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, it. it's not clear to me that she has plural marking yet. Oh, she also says, cleaning cleaning but i that's the only form of clean that she has so right. i don't think that we can really call that um a morphine yeah. on its own yet some of the favorite words that i wrote down um she has this word waya which she uses to mean fort or like when you cover up your under a blanket mm -hmm. uh, and i don't know where that came from it is not Spanish or English as far as I can tell but yeah hmm. she says waya and now we started saying waya so waya is now a word you uh, made up a new language <laughs> yeah she also says it. Uh, for pupa she says pipu which I think is yeah. very cute <laughs> it means like um boo-boo or awi in Spanish mm -hmm. Uh, for pica, which means it's spicy, she says paca. Uh, so every time we have hot sauce on the table, she says paca, paca. <laughs> um, she also will tell me to go cook, which I think is very cute and sassy for a two-year-old to already be bossing me around. But she thinks she thinks cook is any kind of food preparation, like cutting, right. cooking as well. Oh, her favorite shows. Right now she watches... Poco Yo, she likes Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, which is on Disney Plus in Spanish. Um, she also still watches a lot of um, Masha Yeloso, which is Masha and the Bear in English, and it's in Spanish on YouTube Kids. Um, she watches Paw Patrol in Spanish on YouTube Kids. Um, 
yeah that's what she's watching reading she loves to read uh english or spanish um she's in she's starting to tolerate like actual books now not just mm -hmm. um like interactive books with movement or sound she'll she'll actually listen to if they have pictures it's good she likes to be able to describe the pictures and ask questions about the pictures we've been doing some i spy books um which she really likes a lot a lot of just like uh donde esta el pato como hacen pato who's you know who's wearing boots and uh stuff like that is kind of where she's at at age two we also got a book from dolly parton's imagination library uh, mm -hmm. i think it's called yo oigo pepinillo i oh. could be wrong about that title but it's um but she really it's all all the five senses and it's in both languages and she really likes that book so i'd say nice. that's a favorite right now are you reading to her in spanish or english or both we read to her in spanish uh my mom whenever she's with victoria reads to her in english my mom was a librarian when she worked oh. and so she mm. likes reading um sources of her current input level at home it's all spanish at daycare it's all english she's in daycare pretty four days a week most weeks um from nine to four, I guess. Uh, that's all in English. My parents, who she's with a lot, are all in English. So I I don't know how like exact quantities, but I'd say it's close to 50-50 English mm -hmm. Spanish. And awareness, I she knows that there are translation equivalents, but she also knows that, like I said, that my husband and Cesar and I are both bilingual so she'll say something in English and then I will translate it for her to Spanish and she'll say like yeah that's what I mean so she 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 knows that what I'm saying when I repeat it is a translation but she doesn't she can't pronounce it or chooses to use the English word yeah so that's kind of where she's at and and I would say <laughs> If you're, if you have a kid who's almost two, like half of her vocabulary is from the last two months. Like they said, they kept saying vocabulary explosion at age, at 18 months. And Victoria's was definitely later, like 22, 23 months when right. she really started talking a lot. I think for Lucas, it was 20. And it was, it happened during the summer when we were in Spain and France. And I think it's because he had way more interaction than he normally did. Or I'm, I'm starting to think that we sent him to daycare from age one, but he got a lot of French and Spanish before. So I've, I've, I'm starting to realize that perhaps he was more dominant in those two languages and he didn't get much out of daycare. He still does not like going to daycare as much because he feels um, frustrated when he cannot express himself yeah. as well in English. Lucas but, and Victoria actually go to the same daycare. True, yeah. Fun fact. You did such a good job. So I'm thinking uh, for Lucas and Noemi. Noemi spends a lot of time with Alex, my husband, right now because she's not in daycare. Um, so I would say she's getting probably 80% French and 20% Spanish. And then uh, my husband and I speak to each other in English. So she's getting English, secondhand English, like secondhand smoking. <laughs> uh, so um, that's where she's at. 
Then um, Lucas goes to daycare as well. He goes for more time though. So he'll go from like 8.30 to 5, mm -hmm. 5.30. Um, and then when he gets home, it will depend who interacts with him most, but he does a lot of cooking with me. So we'll do that in Spanish. And now he's super obsessed with a French uh, kid show that is called Miraculous. It's like a ladybug. It's just like a superhero, but it's um, a girl, like a teenage girl, and is sort of like based in, in Paris. It's on Netflix or? I don't know. I think we've done YouTube for the most part. Mm -hmm. Alex found some French website that you can stream it from if you use a VPN to pretend you're in France. So <laughs> um, we're doing what we can to keep the bilingualism just going. Um, but anyways, um, he, I would say for the most part, Lucas is dominant in French right now. This is dominant language. He prefers French and Spanish over English significantly. And the reason why he's dominant in, in French is because he spends a lot of time with my husband too when I work. And then also he has decided that my husband is the person he wants to talk to when he wants to have lengthier conversations or he has intellectual questions. So he's at the age where he wants to know how the rainbow works, why there's multiple colors, what the colors are sorted in that particular order and things like that. Yes. Four and, and a half. half, yeah. So he has a lot of questions on like, what kind of animal is this? Where do they live? Funny fact, he we went to the zoo before the whole COVID hit and he figured out that there were lions in the zoo that is an hour away from our house. And then one day he woke up in the middle of the night and told me he was afraid because he realized that we had lied to him. The lions are not in Africa, but they're just an hour away. So he's oh. at the level of deep thinking. So he will not stop talking and he has a lot of questions and my husband has the patience and engages with him more than I do sometimes. So he will do cooking activities with me more like crafts and things like that. But my husband does the, the intellectual, yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why his French is better. He has more vocab and he speaks fluently. He actually sounds like um, like a French person with that like intonation is there right now. And um, he's, he's very sassy when he speaks in French. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, we did, so we, he loves books. That's one thing that we have before we go to bed every night. And when he misbehaves, sometimes I threaten to not read a book and he just gets real mad. So we do that. And um, we recently had a wonderful uh, friend of ours, um, a Swiss couple, uh, they're moving back to Europe and they gave us a lot of French books. So nice. reading time is happening for the most part in French. Uh, we use my husband and I used to say, well, you know, it's in French, but just like make it up, just read the whatever you think and just like make up a story but it's kind of like backfiring because my husband will read the story to him and then I read the story to, to him and he's like but that those two stories don't match up like what was happening like you're telling me a story that is right. not a story <laughs> so um I'm kind of pushing my husband to read to him in French because I do a lot of the reading he would read more in less in French than I read in Spanish I would say for the most part mm -hmm. um like I said it doesn't matter because his French is just great um, we did start trying to read. Uh, he in daycare has been very interested in letters and he can recognize a lot of letters in English. So I started to kind of put together a few letters and um, I worked on like words like mama, mommy, mono. So just kind of introduce the vowels and he can read uh, a few of them, but not all of them. Like he'll, he'll forget, right? Um, but that has been fun because um, and like Baba, baby, like those words that he's hearing a lot with the baby. And I'm just like, well, that's B and A is ba. And Spanish is pretty easy to introduce, but I'm really thinking the English is the one that kind of bootstrap the whole Spanish. Like he's actually thinking, whoa, well, that B, 
the like it sounds kind of familiar so that helped him a lot it is very stressful to me the idea of thinking how to read and write so i'm just taking it really slow and not pushing it i do have this if there's someone out there who's spanish like me uh growing up we used to have like cuadernillos that were called rubio and those are these are like a one euro kind of cuadernillo and they just help kids follow um like little dots that have the shape of letters or like shapes or whatever. So when we go to Spain, we buy a bunch of them and he's never been interested. And recently he found them and he's just like obsessed. That's good. I keep buying him the one that, the one that forces him to do the cursive letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. He kind of likes that. Although, although he kind of like shifts this and go, goes to like the, the trucks and the, the animals and forgets about the letters. Or like he'll get overwhelmed and he's like, well, we're done for today. Like this is as much as I'm willing to work. Yeah. Um, but that's been fun. He knows how to write his name. This was interesting because uh, when we went to Spain in the fall, he had to get his uh, Spanish idea renew. And the guy asked me, can he write his name? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like I literally had no idea. So I let him play with it. And he kind of wrote the C backwards and the S backwards or something. There was a U missing. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't great. The guy looked at me like, what the heck? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. This looks wonderful. This would be a memory. Yeah. Yeah. And since then, I've just been interested. I'm like, hey, do you want to write your name? And he he likes the idea of signing things. So we tried it and he actually gets it right. That's good. And it works. It's the same in English. But he must see it all the time in daycare. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorite words or code switches? Yeah. One thing that I've noticed because he's dominant in French, he uses a lot of words that would be both cognates. When, we're, when we were in Spain, um, he kept using the verb mostrar mm-hmm. to show, which would be the equivalent to montre in French. But Spanish people don't use that all the time. I mean, barely in that context. He'll be more like, te quiero mostrar mis juguetes, right? So I want to show you my toys, but it would be more like, te enseño mis juguetes, right? So like kids his age will not understand what he was trying to say. So he would just be like, happening he'll look at me and I'm like I'm just telling him this and I'm like oh try to say enseñar and then we'll get it he says uh me entiendes meaning do you hear me are you listening to me because it's entang um so that's that's been fun to just kind of see those and and they happen a lot so anytime there's like a French and Spanish word that Mm -hmm. he'll like go for the one that sounds more like in French Mm -hmm. yeah hopefully work for both languages but Exactly. I think it's gonna that kind of stops happening while we spend more time abroad. Sure. So one of those things that he's probably gonna have a lot of the time while we're here, and then when he's immersed in the one of the languages, he figures it out for a little while, and then he goes back to that um, that thing again, which is super interesting. And we were able to spend three months in in Spain this past fall, and um, he went to school, and that helped him a lot with. Um, learning a lot of specific vocabulary that kids are using, especially dialectal stuff mm-hmm. from the south of Spain. So that was kind of fun to see him say, to, to hear him say things that are very like Andalusian-like. Because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't teach him that by hearing it. It's just like, oh my God, who taught you that? And it's like, oh, grandpa. And I'm like, oh my God. Or like I hear, I hear a kid say, say this and I'm just like, wow. But yeah, and then- I'm really excited that Victoria is going to get to go to Spain for the yeah. first time. Well, you know, both- Yay! Babies, Victoria and baby to be named later. Um, <laughs> both will finally get to go to Spain. So hopefully that will, will be a fun experience too. Yeah. And just the insecurity in English. 
he's insecure in English. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. The one thing I wanted to say, since I have a one-year-old, she's not speaking. She's definitely understanding French and Spanish, and I believe English. She responds when we talk to her in Spanish and in French. I have not tested English because I don't address her in English. Neither, neither does my husband, so we don't know. But um, she did start saying a few words, and the first few words she had, like, hey, Google, because we do play with Google a lot. So he says, hey, Google, and then she says, um, gracias, for some reason. And my husband is really pissed because he spent all day with her, and her first word was either hey, Google, or gracias. <laughs> That's so funny. All right. Anything else that you want to add about your pancakes? No. I mean, I guess when we get to season two, I, um, I'm going to be spending some time in Europe this upcoming academic right. year. Yeah. So, um, that means that Lucas will go to school in Spanish and potentially in French the second half of the year. So I'm super interested to see what that would look like. Mm-hmm. He's feeling emotionally and how that might help him because he hasn't been to France since he was one and a half. Mm-hmm. And I cannot imagine how he would feel once he's in a French-speaking country and he's actually, in French is his dominant language right now, if he would feel good about it or maybe when he starts interacting with monolingual French-speaking kids, it might be different. Like, I'm curious to see that. Hopefully, it's, hopefully it's positive. I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you guys will have to stay tuned to hear that, um, yeah. about next year. So other than that, for the next season, we have a few interviews already lined up. So we know that we want to look at some children, some bilingual children, multilingual children with different profiles. So we're going to look at some children that are not typically developing, uh, children with autism or Down syndrome. Um, Maybe we will look into interviewing someone with deaf children, I think we had talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, we're trying to find a family that speaks an indigenous language, see if we can Mm -hmm. uh, interview someone in that situation. Um, Also adopted children from abroad. Um, We'll have interviews with adoptive parents to hear a little bit about that, how that situation is different. So just a lot of different profiles coming up in the second season. Yeah. And since uh, you have probably learned from us that raising multilingual children can be emotional, we focus <laughs> on that for a little bit and talk to different people who are experts and also who have um, publicly expressed these feelings in some way or other, like journal articles or just actual articles on the media. So let's see kind of what's coming our way. Of course, we'll have um, a few more book reviews and interviews with uh, other experts on the podcast. We, of course, always welcome your questions and suggestions. If there's anything that you want us to talk about, please tell us on our website. You can submit questions or you can email either of us as well. Let us know what you want to hear about. Summer's coming and we want to spend time with our families and we hope that you do too. That's it from us. Thank you so much for being such a great audience for season one and we're really hopeful the season two will be better and we're looking forward to sharing our experiences with you guys. That's it for season one of Multilingual Mamas.
you ever have questions for us or questions about the podcast, go to home and our website at www.multilingualmamaspodcast.com and click on the link for questions. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and stay tuned for another episode of Multilingual Mamas.